Hey everyone, um, welcome back to the Moments Podcast. It's Luke here from Mo. Um, thanks for joining us again and uh, listening in. We've got a real goodie with two people on the podcast this time. Um, so we have Anouk and we have Ginny, um, and they are from Unleashed. Um, and maybe we can start off with a little intro from you, Anouk, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So thanks firstly for having us. Uh, my name's Anouk. I'm the founder and CEO of Unleashed. Um, we work with early stage and scaling businesses to help them uh, through growth, um, so to scale successfully and sustainably um, as they go along on their, on their journey. We have a very design thinking led approach, so we design lots of people experience and support on culture and leadership um, as well. Cool. And that's me. <laughs> Wicked. And Ginny? Hi, uh, I'm Ginny. I am a people and culture partner at Unleashed. So I am part of the team delivering uh, everything that Anouk just described that we do. Um, so I work with various clients, uh, early stage uh, uh, startups and scale-ups, um, yep, supporting them internally um, and doing a lot of that kind of design thinking and, and also the delivery um, across whole people experience. Cool. There's a lot of them as well. I looked on your LinkedIn. You've worked with quite a, quite a number of them. It's really cool. It is very, very cool. It's very varied. Um, very varied, but at the same time, you know, I think one of the great things about what we can do is help businesses just to understand what kind of normal pain points are and, you know, give them that kind of context of other businesses um, in a completely confidential way, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That are kind of you know feeling the same similar things at similar stages and um i think a lot of what we do is coaching around that um that kind of whole mindset of um uh, response in line with you know which stage of the journey you're on from a people and culture perspective yeah indeed i guess that's the beauty of working with companies going through the same things in the same stage um, there's a load of shared learnings and people yeah. like people problems and challenges and opportunities are quite often similar um Probably not many challenges like the one that we're currently recording this podcast in, which is a global pandemic that um, probably not even you guys have got a, uh, a playbook for, but it seems like a really good design thinking process to help you out of it. Um, so the discussion topic for today is really around preparing for a post-pandemic future of work. Um, so it's an interesting one. Uh, and the passion that we, uh, we all share is one of company culture. And it would be great to just get a sense from you um, on how do you create and maintain a strong team culture whilst we're in a kind of remote working environment. And Anouk, maybe that comes to you first. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, I think it's right to admit that it's harder. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to be as easy. So what that means is that you just need to craft it very purposefully. You need to think what are the aspects of your culture that are really important in the workplace when you're in the office together, if you're not already a remote company. And therefore, what do you want to make sure that you amplify um, when you're remote working. So that might be, for example, uh, if you have a very collaborative culture and you do lots of workshopping in the office, how do you then replicate that when you're working from, um, from home? And there are different ways that you can do that. And I'll go through a few kind of useful tools uh, very quickly. But what's really important is that the focus should be on maintaining and structuring it rather than trying to create a new culture now's not the time for transformation or revolution it's the time for evolution and to improve things uh, but not to create brand new 
-hmm. So you need to be really proactive and that's particularly on the learning front, which is the most important thing. So lots of businesses and the way that culture is in the office is that a lot of learning happens by osmosis. So people are absorbing what's happening around them, especially junior people or new people into a business and they don't have the same ability um, now when everybody is remote. So it's really important again, that anything that you intend to do there is crafted with, uh, with purpose. Um, some ideas in terms of, you know, those more cultural aspects that you might have, like a kind of a good working environment, if you like. Um, yeah. There's Donuts that's on Slack, which helps people to kind of meet up for 15 minutes and have a conversation. They might be in different teams. Um, from a well-being idea perspective, um, we, we shared a blog around 10 acts of kindness. And they're just things that as people in a business that you can do to maintain that feeling of being connected and not isolated that's actually off Zoom or whatever it might be. Yeah. For collaboration using Miro or Whiteboard or other collaborative tools. Um, and being really clear actually on a virtual comms etiquette. So for example, to have a culture that you can maintain where people feel psychologically safe, it might be a hands up, it might be going around in a circle, it's giving opp everyone opportunity to have, to have a voice. Um, and super importantly is the communications. Sorry, and I know I'm rambling. <laughs> the communication side of things in relation to having more rather than less, having them more often and perhaps for shorter periods. A weekly all hands doesn't really make it anymore. It needs to be a couple of times a week and shorter, more specific um, areas. And you could have daily stand-ups, for example, as well. Yeah, one of the biggest challenges I find at the moment is like the there's the work still really quite busy so the consolidation of thought and the preparation and then the message coming across in a way in which people can understand it is one of the hardest things in my mind to do is you can't just roll into these things because the way in which it's virtual doesn't allow for this kind of organic discussion to happen so easily um so it needs to be a bit more considered and it often feels like a company all hands is a bit more like a webinar download that someone could almost be watching remotely because everyone tends to default to um, mute and there's not the level of like uh, engagement that you would otherwise get. Um, yeah. do, you, do you need anything to add um, in terms of uh, creating that kind of strength in culture and connection? Um, I think Anit just gave a wealth of awesome advice. Um, I think as a, as a kind of theme, the only thing to kind of perhaps centre around that underpins everything that Anouk just talked through is just to kind of change in um, kind of, I guess, the horizon, uh, shortening your horizons and, and that kind of what Anouk was talking about with kind of more frequent, more comms, but mm -hmm. more bite-sized, digestible communication. Um, and I think also really focusing that mentality on, okay, you know, we've got priorities that are super clear. We've got goals that we know that we need to hit, but actually we need to engage with each other much more on a kind of day in, day out. What's that short horizon look like as well? Because I think that's the bit that you, you lose the most of when you're not uh, in that kind of organic idea sharing, turn to someone and ask a quick question kind of environment. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it really helps to make sure that you're having that kind of overview that you would always have in terms of direction and where we're going and what we're trying to achieve, but coupling that with a bit more of that shorter horizon scanning um, as part of your kind of daily communication. Yeah. And I think one of the things there as well is actually, you know, remembering that this isn't just remote working, it's remote working whilst we're in a pandemic and therefore 
um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be an all-time replica of the culture that you're going to have forever. And it's a case of working out with your team what's really important for us as a business now and what do we need to make sure we do so that we can do our best work together so that when things in the outside world start to get back to normal and we work, we, we can then make different plans. Um, yeah, it was going to be my next question to you, actually, like a follow on to the point that you said around stability, I guess, in the expectation of what the culture's like. Um, because now not being the point of transformation, I guess the, um, the big difference is when, you, when I think about culture is the environmental factors have changed quite a lot. The level of like serendipity in conversations has changed quite a lot. It's, it have to be organized rather than, you know, ad hoc. Um, the uh, rituals are a big part of what forms cultures and operating structures and ways of interacting. And then you've got all of the um, much more kind of like emotive considerations that would normally support and reinforce the values of the organization. Um, so what are we meaning when we say company culture in this context? Because there's one which is like, one side of it is like operating model and stability. And the other is how often people perceive culture as this sense of connection and community within the team going about delivering uh, performance? Such a great question. Um, so I think there's, well, there's all that. So you've got, of course, you've got the culture, which is all about your values and the, the cultural norms that you might have in the business. And so it's, you know, taking, it's making sure that you're making any decision that you make in any case aligned with those values. If all of a sudden you find yourself in a remote working environment and you can't live by your values anymore, then there's something wrong with those values. Fundamentally, yeah. Yeah, they should absolutely be aligned. Um, and But your cultural norms, those things that you do ritually, are the things that are probably going to change the most because you need to create norms that relate significantly more, and this is where your question's kind of intertwined, um, you know, that, that, that are significantly more around connectedness, diminishing isolation, um, increasing productivity when people some days might be feeling really productive and other days mm -hmm. not so the feelings that you might get over a longer period of time are all squished now um so you just have to be much more cognizant of what it is that you need as a business and create new norms um yeah. whilst you're remote working yeah indeed and then maybe just a last one before we leave culture um and um Ginny, maybe one for you is i i, I often kind of go backwards and forwards in my head about whether culture is a real experience for people or not a real experience for people in larger organizations. So um, when you're up above kind of 250 people, you're in dispersed locations, the experience that you have at work, if you think about it bottom up rather than the culture kind of encouraged from the top down, if, if you look at those human interaction elements, um, I often wonder whether those experiences in the way that you understand them and process them are actually really quite different to how organizations think from the top down there, kind of encouraging or trying to support and structure a specific culture. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of like in my head, a manifestation of brand expectation or extension that drives a cultural context versus an experience that somebody has that, you know, you might only interact with 50 or hundred people within the organization 
and those interactions and the decisions that are made in those interactions really define what you perceive to be the culture and your experience in the organization. I just wondered how, how for larger organizations that you uh, partner with, you're seeing that differ. Like is engineering fundamentally different to a sales team, for example, in this new remote setting? You talked, you talked about perception and I think that's really important. And I think at the moment, again, when we're all um, slightly physically uh, more distanced than we were, perception plays an even more important role. So I think, um, which is exactly why we've been talking so much about over communicating because you have to work so much harder to manage expectations and perception. Um, I think once a company gets a little bit bigger, um, it then becomes around doing more work which actually is aligned a bit with what you were just talking about around kind of connecting I guess behaviors with intentions through things like values you know just a value on its own isn't enough being able to help people not only understand but experience how that value shows up the behaviors that are kind of associated with it is the most important thing and you can still do that no matter how big a, a company gets I think what starts to become a more useful mechanism using your, your language of kind of bottom up is to start thinking about what can happen at a kind of, you know, call it a company level or a group level. What is your, you know, your ex company's experience, no matter who joins or, you know, at any part of a kind of uh, journey along their kind of career path, which is hopefully as long as possible with you. And then actually, when does it get to a point where that becomes overbearing or onerous or starts to break because you do need that individual team agility and a reason and a way for essentially which is why great managers are so important uh your managers and your kind of um leaders within the business to be able to interpret company level for their own team so that there is this sense of connectedness through from bottom to top if you kind of think about it in a in a yeah. hierarchical sense but equally from a um removal leveling removal type of work um from the from the conversation just working for the company that you work for you know every single person really understands what kind of good looks like yeah. we often ask businesses to actually think more um initially if they were designed thinking around this kind of thing um about answering the question what don't you tolerate you know like what it's harder to it's it's abstract to say okay what are our values and one of the behaviors that we want it's much easier to say actually as a business what don't we tolerate yeah. and that kind of feeds into some of that brand stuff right if you've got a really strong brand and you've got loyalty um that is associated with that brand it's because it's easy for a consumer to understand what that brand doesn't do um yeah. and i think that can be quite a useful way of thinking about it so it's both it's both it's as you get bigger, you need to create more flexibility within the structure for interpretation within teams and absolutely engineering will need things that are different and unique to them that sales may or may not need you in that yeah. example. Um, it's, it's probably a good connection. I'm going to skip one of the questions and come back to it in a minute because I think it just this, this uh, feeds quite well to a topic of kind of like personalization or uh, an individualized experience at work that um, I wanted to talk to you about later and it feels like a natural extension so um, and look I'm going to come back to you um, if that's okay and just talk about what we mean when we think about like a personalized experience at work um, because it feels like that's a very natural extension of what we're talking about here in this sense of bottom-up it's about me rather than about us 
Yeah, and this is really important from the context of actually what do, what does it look like post lockdown um, as well. So what one of the things that we've seen uh, uh, really interestingly is a lot of leaders who prior to this didn't want to be flexible, didn't want to have remote working. Um, and then at the end of the first week of this, oh my gosh, we're never going back to the office. Everyone's being so yeah. And yeah. it's gone from one side of the pendulum, like all the way to the other side. And it's like, okay, well, how a little bit about um, some middle ground here. And it's harder with middle ground because there's more gray and it's easier as humans to have black or to have white. So um, when we talk about individualized experience of work, what we're actually talking about is a hell of a lot of gray um, mm. because every person is different and every person's needs are different. And therefore, if we look forward to the type of workplace that might be where some people are remote and some people are not, or, if, or even if everybody is remote, we need to be considerate of what the individuals need to do, need to have in order to do their best work. So for example, and this is where you can look at all different sides of the people experience, it might be your benefits, right? So you may not have the same need in terms of benefits that, that come with an office, um, but actually somebody might need to set up their office at home better. Someone might not be able to work from home because they lived in a share apartment or they have a small place and it's just not convenient. So they may need a... Um, uh, access to a, a, a hot working shared yeah. space. Um, so depending on what different people need in order for them to be most productive, in order for them to be most motivated and for them to be most happy is what we're talking about with individualized working experience. So there might be more from home, might be from office, might be from somewhere else. Um, then there's all the other things like access to oh, well, we're not working in town anymore, therefore we don't have access to a particular brand of gym, but gym membership was always part of our benefits. Well, actually, maybe it's something different now. So there are a number of different companies, for example, uh, Juro, uh, Juno Wellbeing, sorry, and Ben, who are about, let's make it easy for the business to provide people with individualized benefits that are of value to them. So as a business, you are then helping people um, to get more value from the amount that you're spending and therefore it makes commercial sense as well and it becomes scalable. Yeah, the, the, the thing that goes through my head is um, not quite a cultural question, but almost like an operating structure of the traditional HR function, which is like programs of work in which need to be dropped on or into organizations or various areas that have been often uh, diluted because they need to be suitably gray and general um, and therefore um, do something for everybody, but please nobody really. Um, it'd be good uh, maybe Ginny to get your thoughts on how, how do you think about enablement rather than, you know, because there is an expectation often that people look to, people teams and HR teams for learning or development or for guidance or for support. And there's no one stock answer in this personalized experience. So how, how should people think about enablement rather than control and program like programmatic approach? Um, we talk a lot about how um, um, 
that kind of terminology of traditional HR, I think we both just did a like slightly sick in our mouths kind of response, just because of exactly as you've described it, that kind of approach to control and management rather than kind of enablement and just actually finding the best ways to get out of people's ways. Um, and I think that it's it's a shame if you need a you need a function within a business who is looking at this all the time because it's you know as we believe the most important part of the business. Um, but it's a real shame if everything that you're talking about is the reserve of one department um, and that they have to kind of come up with ideas by themselves in a kind of echo chamber. Um, yeah. Everything needs to be as participatory as possible. Um, and you need to think about people and culture and every single thing that you do as a business. Um, and I think in terms of that enablement piece within an individualized kind of setting, I think it is some of this kind of um, flexibility, just an increased, I guess, um, uh, a kind of uh, a, a mantra philosophy of we're all going to have to be more flexible individually to support each other. Um, but then equally, um, maintaining this kind of sense of, of uh, business and people not being these mutually exclusive kind of contexts, right? So you don't want to go into a position where you start designing jobs and tasks that are deliberately much more individualized, where people don't need to interrelate with their colleagues as much because that might feel like an obvious, in a very logic brain sense, kind of efficiency gain across a business. You know, at the moment, um, the current context is not the context from which any business should be planning a, and committing to a new normal because this is just weird. And that new normal at the moment for all of us is speculation. It's good to speculate. It's good to trial and test various hypotheses. But I think putting eggs in any baskets permanently at the moment is probably not wise. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just about making sure that you're not falling into that trap of saying, OK, we've got the same amount of work to get done. We have potentially fewer people to do it, um, depending on what kind of situation you're in and what perhaps really difficult decisions you've had to make. Um, but that doesn't mean we redesign everyone's jobs and make it so that they're individually functioning kind of robots. Um, yeah. We need to not let that happen. Yeah, there's a part of me which um, feels like it's a, a measurement question and a trust dynamic. So we, we talk about... Um, how do you build a meaningful relationship with work with a perspective that you have a workplace and you have a worker in whichever forms they manifest themselves, whether you're freelance or you're an employee or whatever, the, the nature of a relationship is if it's off balance on either side, the workplace is getting more or the worker is getting less, it just falls apart. Yeah. Um, the other one is that a relationship's kind of, um, the foundation of it is trust and uh, believing in which people are delivering. But in the like command and control structures that we've had, the measurement of outcome and the assessment of performance by delivering things has been the basis by which we've understood organizations and calibrated performance and all of those things. How, how do we measure both sides of that dynamic in terms of what does the workplace get? It feels like productivity is the real kind of understanding that we're trying to get to that's the most subjective measure um and then on the employee side in terms of their level of uh i would often think of it as like emotional commitment to the organization and how much they feel like they want to give in terms of discretionary effort um so 
to either of you that one because it's probably quite a hard one. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it um, delves into like theory of motivation and things like that as well. I think there's we need to move away regardless um, of the trust of working from home. We need to move away from policies that control behavior and into principles that enable um, great behavior, for example. Mm -hmm. So there's a big kind of trust piece there that's really important. As far as measuring, so there is at no point in time, if you've got adults working in your business, there is at no point in time by treating people well making sure that they feel that they can, and this goes back to Daniel Pink, making sure that they've got the opportunity to master their role, that mm -hmm. they're enabled to make decisions and have autonomy around things that impact their work and that they feel a sense of purpose. That's never going to be a bad thing for a business. Um, so in enhancing those things that enable people's best work, you will automatically enhance their productivity, their engagement, their motivation, and therefore that's going to have a direct line to the business improving itself. Um, you know, from a revenue perspective, from, from, from every perspective, the business will benefit from people being treated well. It's yes, I, I, I agree. I, I, I think um, you almost have to make and just believe that that is true right? Because when we hit a tough recessionary environment where technologies that enable you to do your job really well, or um, even working practices that enable you to give your best and be your best, um, will be scrutinized if the level of awareness and education isn't there and quickly um, around enabling people to do their best work. And it might be whipped away. We might, might go backwards. Yeah, but I think in the main, this crisis has actually proved that people can be trusted. And one of the reasons where managers, I am generalizing because I'm aware of very specific examples where that's not necessarily the case, uh -huh. but where, um, you know, managers who didn't want to have people working from home because they didn't trust them, they were forced to have people working from home and they've been surprised in the main. And actually, yeah. um, people have worked really well. As time goes on, um, it becomes harder and harder. And it's not about people no longer wanting to work well or no people not wanting to be productive. It's about people are tired and how do we help people? Like how, you know, we want people to be taking holiday, having breaks, doing all of those things, even though there's nowhere to go to restore themselves because all of this growth that people have been doing has tipped them over the edge. Um, and actually once, you know, if you grow too much for too long, you, you, it's, you, you go into kind of burnout mode. Um, so all of these things are re really important. Also setting goals, which is how you know. So yes, you have to trust, um, but you set goals as well as a business or certainly intentions of what you're trying to achieve. And you focus on those as a business. So people know what they're, with their restored energy, what it is that they need to be productive on, right? Yeah. Just doing a lot of stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, and if we look at the other side of that, so Ginny, maybe like when we talk about measuring and supporting engagement, if that is the true representative measure of how an employee feels about their side of the bargain, um, then how do we do that well? In the current context, um, I think, well, so to begin with, and I, I say this quite a lot actually, um, I think that speaking to some of this individualization kind of concept that we've been talking about it's understanding that there isn't one definition of engagement 
once you get down to that individual level. My engagement at work is different to my colleagues um, in terms of the specific variables in that specific set that means that I am feeling as engaged as I could be. And I think that the opportunity we have now as businesses is to really understand that and respond to it um, but that's not to say that you shouldn't be measuring overall engagement at a kind of you know a, again at a company level um, I think there's really um, there's lots that you can do and I think you have to be data-led you have to ask um, but you have to understand that you can't keep asking you have to understand that there is fatigue you can't survey people <laughs> to the nth degree and expect to have the same level of kind of credibility and response but whatever you're going to ask you have to be ready to respond to and that's the thing and I think that can't that has to be held to the same level of standard in the current context as it would be in any other um, action has to be taken if people's belief in action in response to what they're sharing with you is low um, that is a really significant problem um, I think equally circle, right if you don't do what you said you were going to do then they lose trust and then if they lose trust Absolutely. they lose engagement and you just you're in a downward spiral yeah and I think if you know if you're talking about trust you need to really think about psychological safety um and the, the individual feeling that whatever that mix of individual variables are that that kind of are the composites of um what engagement means to them um has to be kind of um taken into consideration within that context and I think that you talked a bit about performance and measurement as well and I think the aim should be to have teams that are self-correcting as possible so that actually um, through things like really effective compelling goal setting that has creates clarity but is also participatory giving people the sense of mastery that Anouk was talking about baking in ownership and autonomy all of these things just need to be um, kept need to be mindful of every time you make any you know change or uh, any any initiative because what you're aiming for is a team to self-correct and to get to a point where it's actually that's not good enough I'm holding myself to an account where I need to kind of do a bit more or we need to change tack or this OKR we set six weeks ago is no longer working, so let's address it rather than wait until the end of the quarter and then not performing. So I, I do agree in part with that. I feel like there's a structural problem here, though, that the exchange value of work is driven around extrinsic motivational drivers rather than what you talk of is mostly intrinsic in what's important to people and individuals. Like if you look at compensation and base pay and bonus and the way in which we typically understand the exchange of value it's driven around goal setting structures that are quite rigid because they need to be easy to translate to simple models by which you can compensate uh, in the existing reward structures. So how do you give a sense of importance to those other factors when they don't have an immediate uh, tangible link to um, reward structures as they exist today yeah. um you know different businesses have different reward structures some of them it's very heavily against goals and some of them it's not and um, i think the yeah. only thing that i the only thing that i would add is that it's important to decouple these things conceptually quite heavily um performance and pay obviously at an end point reconvene uh, because people need to feel rewarded for their effort but they are two completely different psychologies you know one is essentially a negotiation and a, and a piece of kind of fair deal conceptually with a business the other is 
a much more long-tailed, ongoing conversation about managed expectations, psychological safety, your psychological contract, lumping them in and trying to strategize with them completely inherently interlinked is is problematic i think from from the get-go yeah we, as a business we have a, an alternative view on that which is performance is about development um whilst pay is about being paid equitably um mm -hmm. market and, and your role yeah yeah interesting um and maybe two two quick fire questions if you're right for um time um, which is a lot of what we talked about in terms of psychology uh, psychological safety driven by um, leadership um, and I think there's been a load of uh, vulnerability and compassion in leadership through the pandemic um, but I think it would be really useful just to get your perspective on like what's the core role of a leader uh, that you're seeing right now uh, that is creating that kind of motivating and engaging environment um, as people go through this mad experience. Yeah. So in short, there are a few kind of core traits that we've been seeing where those people who are regarded as the best leaders during this time have really demonstrated. Um, you know, competencies around excellent communication, competencies around being able to prioritize amazingly well and focus on what's important. Um, I think the number one thing has been patience. Um, you know, as certainly in a lot of kind of fast growing environments, um, patience isn't necessarily a virtue of the, the, the founders that excel um, because they need to move fast. Um, yeah. Now with the rest of the world moving fast, actually slowing down is a massive virtue to see what's going on and not rushing decisions, but you know, being focused. Um, uh, Self-reflection. Um, that that empathetic piece is really important as well. So what am I like as a leader? How do I know that that's actually how I'm like? And what are my blind spots? Um, how do I want to be known when we come out the other side of this? What is important to me about how I've made people feel and how I've been recognised as a leader? And thinking about that stuff really proactively so that based on what they decide there is pillars of how they make their decisions um, because it's going to have impact on the long term. We've heard a lot about businesses, you know, furloughing and people and making uh, people redundant in the wrong way, not treating people necessarily fairly. And that's really come back to bite them in the backside. Very publicly, people have made statements. Yeah, about indeed. And vice versa, for those that have done it really well, it's been very public um, because it has to happen. It's not a bad thing that it happens. It's how you go about doing it. Yeah, completely. Um, and Ginny, one last question for you, and I think it's probably one of the most talked about at the moment, which is um, the office environment for those of us that open up a laptop lid uh, to start our day in the morning uh, and where it has to be done in the future. Um, with the discussions that you've been having uh, with the companies that you work with, like what are you seeing um, as the future use of the office um, and what do you think it's going to look like? Um, to be honest, I think this goes back to some stuff that we've kind of touched on before when Anouk was talking about um, extreme pendulum swinging from I don't trust anyone to work from home to we're never going to have an office again. There is a real risk in speculation when actually we're waiting, we're, we're all waiting. Um, what is going to affect offices is going to affect public space, you know, where there will be legislation. We don't know. And I think there is a danger in again plan hypothesize but in terms of communication out to teams there is a real danger in starting to talk with too much kind of um 
uh, decisiveness around what that new normal is going to look like as it relates to kind of physical space. I think that some of the most more kind of um, exciting stuff that I'm really enjoying kind of um, uh, mulling over is things like the future role of an office manager, which I think is a notoriously underappreciated role within businesses. Um, And is that going to be that actually it's about, you know, an experience creation, you know, is there going to be a remote employee experience manager? I mean, there already are, we've seen the roles created within the last few weeks, which is, which is amazing. And I think that's going to be increasingly important. Um, But what I, what I'm worried about or what I am hesitant about is that um, businesses are starting to think about workspace as the place where you collaborate, the place where you are going to have to run workshops and, um, run your retros and do your whiteboarding or do your ideation. It's where innovation is going to remain. And then the kind of business as usual, just get shit done is going to be at home. And that is, uh, really sad. I think that that is from a cost saving perspective, um, you know, arguably from certain points of parts of a business that are looking at bottom lines, potentially uh, um, an argument that's going to be being made increasingly. But um, it would be a naive, I think, to think that the office space is going to take on that that role within culture. It has to continue to be baked in. You have to be remote first and in everything that you do, hold yourself to a standard of if this works in a remote first way, culturally that's that's great and if it doesn't then we can't just say okay well don't worry we'll worry about it when we can next be in an office space together yeah i feel like um people are making the decisions with the information in which they have from the information in which they know um and there's going to be a whole host of new information that comes really quite quickly um that will enable you to completely like reimagine the way that you thought things would be possible um we're doing like a, a remote design sprint across the whole company at the moment. And it's amazing how uh, people are in a position where they've just made it work and it's being really productive and it's kind of fun almost to try something new. Yeah. Um, have you got any closing uh, statements or words? Cause I feel like I could talk to you both for days, but I feel like uh, we shouldn't one, because I'm sure you've got lots to do and two, I don't know how long people listen to podcasts for. Um, <laughs> but have you got anything to end on? Anything that you think would be worth people thinking about as a kind of closing remark? Um, I've got something as relates to the leadership question, and it's actually the reason I I'm, uh, I want to get this in there is because it's something that's come up actually quite recently. Um, it's just being mindful as leaders that we are literally again in the in the physical context, work and life. Uh, are just so blurred at the moment um at the top of this podcast you were mentioning uh your kids and uh, again i'm glad no one's going to see it on the video but i've got a cat walking around behind me making a little racket i think that <laughs> the key thing here is that how you are treating people isn't just going to be judged by your direct employees anymore and i've already had people talking about actually i'm so i can see what my other half now does every day in their job which was before previously and (laughs) kept in their office and I can see how their leader is treating them I can I understand how their manager is treating them and so that people will remember how you made them feel thing doesn't just go as far as the people that you've got on your kind of payroll right that you're doing um that you can give tasks to you're being judged 
by much more closely by people whose opinions matter immensely into your employees so think beyond your immediate kind of world yeah indeed like the visibility is much much greater now right and the yeah. those that have influence over your decisions um it's really exposed and look anything last 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 few words yeah so i think why uh and this has to do with the remote working in the office piece why it's worked so well is that everybody's been remote and when we go back to an office and when some people will be and some people won't be that's once again where things might not work quite as well um mm -hmm. to Ginny's point it needs to be even if you're in an office having remote first and investing in the technology that makes that possible um is going to be super important perfect thank you ever so much i hope we have the opportunity to carry on doing something else together it's been amazing so thank you